the major promise of God to Abraham, even though it affected his material life, but God's main promise to Abraham and covenant with Abraham had to do with salvation. That covenant is going to affect you in three ways. It's going to affect your identity, your status, and your future. Covenant changes your identity. Even in our covenant with God, not only does our name change, God's name changes too. So once you call a covenant, you will never remain the same. When a covenant is made, you can have expectation that what God said will happen. The word of God is backed with blood. Backed up with blood. That is, that's why when Jesus says, the words I say unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. His words are blood backed up. The entrance of God's word gives light and understanding. Welcome to a season of blessing and transformation as God's word comes to you through the ministry of our senior pastor, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabit. Stay blessed. Amen. The things of the spirit, the more you use it, the more you grow in it. The less you use it, the less you, you know, your grip, the, the weaker your grip of those things would be. So we don't want to have weak grips here. We want to have firm grips, all right, of the things of the Spirit. If you're making progress in the things of God, don't slow down. Keep firing on, all right? Don't slow down. Keep firing on. Hallelujah. All right, I'll just say this, you know, one of the things that you can easily take for granted is an open heart. When God opens the heart of a man, especially a servant to you, you can easily take it for granted. And when God has favored you with a man of God, be careful. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, and so we go into the word of God tonight. You know, last week we started on this subject, the blood of the everlasting covenant. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 13, and we're going to read from verse 20 to 21. And we're going to take these verses of scripture as our principal text all through this teaching series. And the word of God says, now that God appears, and I believe you will know this scripture by heart because it's one of our you know, prayers and confessions. Uh Hallelujah. All right. Now a God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So notice there, he says, by the blood of the everlasting covenant. But did you notice now that what he is not saying, first of all, notice what he is not saying. He's not saying that Jesus was brought from the dead by the blood of the everlasting covenant. And you will know that is not so. Because that is not what happened. The blood of the everlasting covenant is what Jesus offered after he was raised. It was not what raised him. That was what he offered after he was raised from the dead all right we're going to see in the book of hebrews chapter 8 he said uh, the lord jesus by the blood by the eternal spirit offered himself and let's go look at that glory to jesus hallelujah and we see that hebrews 9 i beg your pardon and verse 14 how much more he said shall the blood of christ 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve a living God. He's comparing the blood of Jesus with the blood of goats and bulls. Let's, let's read uh, previous verses. Uh, let's start from verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, did you see this? He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an ephah, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He said that Jesus Christ, by the eternal spirit, so he was raised by the eternal spirit to be able to offer his blood. Do you understand that? So he was raised by the Holy Ghost. So in other words, what I'm saying is, Jesus was not raised by the blood. He was raised to offer the blood. Do you understand that? He was raised to offer the blood. He was not raised by the blood. When we read in scripture, we find out he was raised by the power of the Holy Ghost. Or by the power of God, which is the Holy Ghost. Which is one of the things we just read in Hebrews 9.14 just now. You see it over and over again. Romans 6. Alright. It tells us that he was raised by the glory of the Father. Did you see? Romans 6, 4, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also should walk in newness of life. And so you understand uh, the glory of the Father is talking about there. You understand it in Romans 8, 4, uh, verse 11. If the Spirit, did you see that? Of he that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead, did you see, shall quicken or, or vitalize your mortal bodies. So notice they saying that Jesus was raised by the Spirit of God. That Spirit of God is what he describes as the power of God in Ephesians 1. We, we prayed from verse 19 that, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Did you see? That is at work in those of us who believe. Did you see that? Even according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought. In Christ, when you raise him from the dead. In other words, it says the resurrection of Christ is the walking of that power. It's not that was is the demonstration of that power. Was made possible by that power. What is that power? The Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. He's also called the, the glory of God. In First Peter 4 14, Peter describes him as the spirit of glory. Is the glory of God, the Holy Ghost, is what he's talking about. Whether you're uh, reading it from Romans eight, uh, Romans six four, or you know Ephesians one, you see the Holy Ghost is God's power. The Holy Ghost is the glory of God. Did you see? Peter says, "If you be reproached for the name of Christ, uh, uh, come on, don't worry, just go back, go back, follow me." First Peter four fourteen. You see that happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God rested upon you. So he tells you the spirit of God is the spirit of glory. So when he says in Romans 6, 4, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, did you see, it is still the spirit of God is referring to. Are you getting this now? 
And that's why in Hebrews 9.14, he said, it was through the eternal spirit, did you see, that Jesus Christ came and offered. Did you see that? The offering of his blood was what he did when he was raised from the dead. That was what he did when he was raised um, from the dead. Hallelujah. So therefore, Hebrews 13 is not saying uh, the, the blood of the everlasting covenant is what raised Christ from the dead. Rather, he's talking to us about the use of the blood of the everlasting covenant. That God, through that blood, will make you perfect in every good work. Are you seeing that now? And that's why we're looking at this subject because many people don't know what the blood is meant for. Like I told you last week, there is a lot of abuse of the blood. People sprinkle the blood on their windshield, on their tires. Did you see? Uh, when they're traveling, those are not the uses of the, of the blood. We see a clear example of the use of the blood of Jesus Christ today in our present day reality. He said, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus is a great shepherd of the sheep. Do you see that? And then he now goes on to say, listen now. So by the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. Are you getting it now? So he's going to do certain things. But it tells you how he's going to do it, with what he's going to do it. What is he going to do? Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Did you see that working in you, that which is well-pleasing in his sight? How is he going to do those two things? With what? Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Are you getting that now? And the implication of that is when he says walking in you that which is well pleasing in his sight. What he's trying to say to you as you will see in the book of Hebrews that the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from dead works. Cleanses our conscience from guilt. Did you see that? And so in other words the blood of Jesus works internally. That's why he says through that blood of the everlasting covenant is going to work in you what is well pleasing in his sight. In other words, the blood will work on your desires. The blood will work on your emotions. Is somebody getting this now? And as I told you, you've got to keep praying that, those prayers. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. The blood is working on my desires. The blood is working on my emotions. Oh, yeah. There's nothing in me that the blood does not reach. <laughs> you know, so, so there's, there will be no something in your life such as the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. No more. The blood, the blood has breached that gap. It has breached it. The spirit is willing. My soul is willing. My body is empowered. <laughs> do you believe that yes, and that's what the prayer is about it's a powerful prayer so instead of pleading the blood on your windshield and all those things you've got to pray for the blood of jesus christ amen, amen. so you see instead of you know putting the blood on your windscreen and putting the blood on your uh toilet seat praise god <laughs> you're go you going to use the toilet and then you saw an ant God of Jesus, stop that. Rather, you declare that by the blood of the everlasting covenant, God makes me perfect in every good work. Do you see that? To do his will. So it means I can always do God's will. Because of the blood. 
Do you see that? And you know, in a natural, much of people's dispositions is traceable to their DNA. They say some people have a propensity to be criminals because it's in their blood, in their bloodline. Now that we are in Christ, it's in our bloodline to do right. That's what the writer of Hebrews, Paul, is saying. Do you see what I'm saying now? He says, by the blood of the everlasting covenant, God makes me perfect, did you see, in every good work to do his will. So in other words, everything that God desires, it now runs in my veins. It runs in my veins. Who gave himself for us, Titus 2.14, did you see that he might deliver us from all iniquity? And purified unto himself a peculiar people, zealous for every good work. So notice that. He said he delivered us from all iniquity. In other words, what, whatever I used to crave for sin has been taken out. Now notice now the difference. There's a difference between being tempted to sin and you actually craving for sin yourself. Are you get what I'm saying now? A child of God, he says, he that is born of God does not sin. He says the reason is because the seed of God is in him. The DNA of God is in him. The genes of God are now in him. And so, he doesn't crave for those old things anymore. He craves for the things of God now. He craves for what God craves for. Do you see now? Because the blood of God is running in his veins. I carry the DNA. And that is what God is using. That's why he says, by that, by that blood of the everlasting covenant, did you see now, that it will make you, glory to Jesus, perfect. Feet. So, did you see that now? By that blood. Because it's easy to control you if you carry my genes. And it's not going to be like me controlling you like a remote control. It's just that once my genes are in you, we're going to begin to have some similarities. Are you getting that now? Yeah. And so you've got to understand that's one of the most powerful things about the blood of Jesus. But the important reason we're reading that is because he calls this blood the blood of the everlasting what? Covenant. And that's the title of our series. It's the blood of the everlasting what? Covenant. Somebody say covenant. Covenant. You remember I told you last week? There is no end there. He's not silent. He's not just there. He's not about whether he's silent. He doesn't, he's not there. So he's not covenant. He's covenant. All right. Tell your neighbor. So he's covenant. He's not covenant. Covenant keeping God. <laughs> you know, when, when the tea is preparing your body, you will forget the English. Just say covenant keeping God. <laughs> so it's covenant. Did you see this? And so we understand from Hebrews 8, 6, but, I, but now as he, talking about Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Did you see that? And so you understand that what he's referring to as the better here is the new covenant. Is the new covenant. So we understand, I'm just doing a short recap of last week. The old covenant was good. But we see that it found fault in man. Do you remember that? And he was supposed to anyway, because there was fault in man. 
Hebrews from verse Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 6. But now as he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also is the mediator of a better covenant, notice this, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, you know we saw that word last week, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault in them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And so we looked at that word, faultless, in verse 7, and it's from the word amemtos. It means blameless, irreproachable, unblameable. And notice, it is a word used in relation to man and not things. And so, like I said, except in the case of what? Personifications. <laughs> and you can laugh all you want. But now I know the difference between euphemisms and personifications. But most of you did not even remember the lesson until I mentioned it. Hallelujah. <laughs> so you notice there. And so we looked at places where that word amemtos, other places where it appears in the New Testament. Philippians 2.15, that ye may be amemtos, blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And uh, you notice that he's referring to the people. And he's, not, he's talking about what we have become now in Christ. In Christ, we're blameless. Philippians 3, 6, Paul speaking concerning zeal, persecuting the church, speaking about himself, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, amemtos. He's talking about himself now. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 13, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable, again the word amemtos, in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So notice in all these references, he's talking about people. And then also in Luke 1, 6, and they were both righteous. That's talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. He says, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Amen toast. And, you know, yes, last week we spent time looking at that word righteous. It's from the Greek word dikaios or dikaios. And we said, of course, we explained it. It talks about being ethical. Because it's not possible for any man to have been righteous before God by the law or outside of faith in Christ. And we looked at all those things. We explained it in detail last week when it says in the uh, before God is the same Greek word that was used in 1 Peter 3. When Peter speaks of the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is before God, 1 Peter 3, 4, of great price. Did you see that? Um, and so we understand there, it talks about, that righteous there talks about the way ethical things expected of Levites. Say big amen to that. Amen. And so in Hebrews 8.8, 8, we're going back there. The second word we're going to look at is from verse 8. When it says, for finding fault with them. Now, that phrase, or those two words, finding fault, is from one Greek word. And it's the word memphumahi. I'll spell it. Memphomai is M-E-M-P-H-O-M-A-I. Memphomai. Memphomai. For finding faults with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And so you notice here, the word Memphomai, it means to blame or just simply to find faults. It's also used in Mark 7 verse 2. 
And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread and, and uh, eat bread with defile, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. Memphumahi. Can you see that? In Romans 9:19, the same word appears. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? Memphumahi. For what as for who rather has resisted his will? So notice here. He said, for finding fault with them. Them who? The people. Now, we're going to see it in the verse itself as we read on. So when he says, for finding fault, you'll notice he's talking about these people. Go back to Hebrews chapter 8 now. And let's go to verse 9. Hallelujah. So he says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant. Did you see that? And I regarded them what? Not, saith the Lord. So notice there, the them that is referring to are the generation that came out of Egypt. Yes, sir. So those are the them that he said the law found fault in. Are you getting this now? Because as we're, you know, wrapping up last Wednesday, I told you, we'll see now in scriptures that the law is perfect. The law is holy. The law is spiritual. Do you see that? The law is good. Can you see this? And Paul says that very clearly. Romans 7.12. Romans 7.12. Wherefore the law is holy. And the commandment holy and just. Did you see this? And good. How many things has he used to describe the law now? Three things. He says, wherefore the law is what? Holy. And the commandment holy. Then number two, and what? Just. Number three, and what? Good. Did you see this now? In verse 14, Romans 7, the same chapter. He says, for we know that the law is what? Spiritual. Did you see this now? But he says, I am what? Carnal, sold under sin, but no more. Did you see this? Paul is talking about the past, you know, just talking about what the condition was. So the law is spiritual. It is man that was carnal and sold under sin. Did you see this now? Hallelujah. So understand, therefore, in, in Hebrews 8, when he says, if the first commandment was faultless, he's saying, if the first commandment had not found fault in the people. So it wasn't like the commandment was faulty in itself. It did what it was sent to do. We're going to look at it now. It found fault in the people. The fault was with the man. The fault was with the people, not with the law. Are you hearing this now? That's why Paul says the law is good. The law is just. The law is holy. The law is spiritual. It was the man that was carnal, sold on the sin. I always like to say it also. In Romans 8, 3, Paul makes it clear. The law was weak, not wicked. <laughs> just because the law pointed out the fact that you were sold on the sin doesn't make you wicked. The weakness of the law was that Avon pointed out the fault. He couldn't fix it. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Romans 8, 3. God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Condemned sin in the flesh. That is what the law couldn't do. The law couldn't condemn sin in the flesh. 
Rather, the flesh took advantage of the law. Mm. Did you see that? Did you see that now? Did you see? Rather, sin took advantage of the weakness of the law, and then uh, did you see collaborated with the flesh? But glory to Jesus, Jesus is not weak. Jesus fixed what the law couldn't fix. He says that the righteousness of the law, verse 4, might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For those who are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Those who are after the spirit do mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So he said before, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, he cannot please God. Do you see that? Neither indeed can be. Glory to God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. Somebody say, I'm not in the flesh. I do not walk after the flesh. Glory to Jesus. So we're seeing all that now. Because we're trying to understand the old covenant and then understand the new covenant before we now look at the blood. So what's the law's purpose? What purpose did God send the law to achieve? The law was sent to expose sin for what sin is. We see that in Romans 7. Let's begin reading from verse 7. We'll read verse 7 and 8. We'll skip to verse 13. Romans 7, 7 to 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, or nahi. I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not what? Covet. Are you getting that? But sin taking occasion by the commandment, did you see that? Wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. Are you seeing this? Now skip to verse 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, which is the law is referring to, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Sometimes King James can be blind to us. Let's read the Passion Translation. Verse 7, Romans 7, Passion Translation. So, what shall we say about all this? Am I suggesting that the law is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that gave us the clear definition of sin. Did you see this? In other words, the law brought boundaries. Made the boundaries clear. And that's one thing you've got to understand now that we're under grace. Does not mean that boundaries are still not boundaries. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Because I see a whole lot of people who are like trigger-happy policemen preaching grace that they don't understand yet. And if you listen to those kind of people, you can destroy your Christian life. So that the, that the, that the law, that we are not under the law, does not mean we are not restricted by boundaries in the Christian faith. Sin is still sin. Yes, sir. Boundaries are still boundaries. Yes, sir. Thou shalt not steal is still valid. Yes, sir. <laughs> is someone hearing me now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thou shalt not commit fornication is still is still valid. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thou shalt not lie is still valid. Yes, sir. Are those things boundaries or not? Yes, They're boundaries. Do we still live within those boundaries? Yes. A thousand times yes. yes <laughs> the difference just now is we are not accepted on the basis of those boundaries. Yes. But we still live by those boundaries. Come on now. Is somebody getting what I'm saying? Yes. 
But she need to understand this. Because people are very funny these days now, you know. So that you hear Christian who will say, why should I feel bad if I commit sin? You should feel bad. You should actually really feel bad. I mean, you should feel really, really bad. I mean, very, very bad. As in, seriously bad. And that is not condemnation nor guilt. That is conscience. Which you need in your Christian journey. Is somebody hear what I'm saying now? Say, I hear. So let's keep reading. So he says, uh, in fact, it was the Lord that gave us the clear definition of sin, for example. When the Lord said, do not covet, it became the catalyst to see how wrong it was for me to crave what belongs to someone else. Verse 8, it was through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me and built its base of operation within me to stir up every kind of wrong desire. For in the absence of a law, sin hides dormant. In the absence of a law, sin hides dormant. You know, it's like a cancer. All right. You don't blame the diagnosis that exposed it. Because you say, oh, but even for this diagnosis, I wouldn't have known. At least I'll continue to live my life in peace. No, you won't. You will just be dying slowly until the thing comes out like a monster that it is and wipes you out. So you better thank God that the law exposed it. Are you hear what I'm saying now? You don't, you don't fight a doctor just because he ran a test on you and gave you the results. He didn't put the problem there. He just showed you that the problem is there. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? So whether sin was dormant or active, sin is still going to cause death. Are you hearing this? So he goes on, we read verse 12 and 13, Romans 7, Passion Translation. So then, we have to conclude that the problem is not with the law itself. Are you seeing that now? Is it cl- clearer now? Yes. Glaring. Yes, so then, he says, we have to conclude, it's a conclusion, that the problem is not with the law itself, for the law is holy. We read that in King James earlier. And its commandments are correct and for our good. I always say over the years, when, the, when God says, don't come in for education, it's not because he's trying to hide any of his daughters from you, from impregnating, <laughs> like personal interest or something like that. You get know what I'm saying? Yes, no, it's for your own good. Yeah. It's for your own good, Abby. Yes, sir. It's for your own good. All the commandments of God is for our good. Yes, sir. If you steal now, they catch you and they embarrass you. She means you that they embarrass you. They say, God, they rubbish. Ah, God, I brought reproach to your name. No, you brought reproach to your father's name. <laughs> your father in your village. Is that your father's name? <laughs> because God will still be God, man. You'll be shocked. Somebody will raise the dead in Jesus' name just beside you now, where you are being embarrassed. And the name will work. Yes, sir. <laughs> He's already get what I'm saying now. Uh-huh. It's for our good. And so, we keep on reading verse 13. So, did something meant to be good become death to me? Certainly not. It was not the law, but sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil of sin so it could be seen for what it is. Very simple. Are you getting this? Go also to Galatians 3.19. King James. Galatians 3.19. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Notice why, why he said the law was given. He said the law was added because of what? Transgressions. 
In other words, the Lord did not bring sin. Romans 5, 12. By one man, sin entered the world. It didn't say by a law. Or it didn't say by the law. By one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. Did you see this? So understand therefore, it was the sin. It was sin that brought spiritual death. Not the law. The law just exposed sin. So he says, wherefore then serve the law? Go back to Galatians 3.19. He's telling you clearly the purpose of the law. So in other words, when he says, wherefore then serve the law? He's saying, so what's the purpose of the law? He says, it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. That mediator is Moses talking about. Now let's go to the Amplified Classic and read that, that verse clearer. He says, what then was the purpose of the law? Did you see that? In plain English, that's what it means. When it says, wherefore then serve the law. You know, these days now, you don't ask somebody, wherefore then serve thee. <laughs> <laughs> what serve thee on, in, on, in life? <laughs> you just simply ask them, what's your purpose in life? They say, wherefore serve thee life? <laughs> you know, some Christians are very spooky like that. You do something good for himself, saying, thank you. You say, we give thanks. <laughs> <laughs> say thank you. Be normal. <laughs> because you can read this one now and say, yeah, this is a deeper way of talking about purpose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, say, Wherefore, serve thee. <laughs> Just simply ask, what's your purpose in life? Because that's what he's saying here. This is what Paul is saying. So the Amplified Classic helps us. It says, what then was the purpose of the law? He says, it was added later on after the promise to disclose and expose to men their guilt. Did you see this? To disclose and expose to men their guilt because of transgressions and to make men more conscious of the sinfulness of sin. Are you seeing this? And it was intended to be in effect until the seed, the descendant, the heir, should come. Two, and concerning whom the promise had been made. And it, the law, was arranged and ordained and appointed through the instrumentality of angels and was given by the hand in the person of a go-between Moses, an intermediary person between God and man. Very easy to understand. That's the purpose of the law. So the law didn't have fault. The law was sent to show man his fault. So back to Hebrews 8. From verse 6 now. Down to verse 9. In King James. On the screen. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also is the mediator of a better covenant. Which was established upon better promises. Seven. For if that first covenant had been faultless. So we understand what it means now. If it had not found fault in them. Alright. He says. Then should no place have been sought for the what? For the second. Eight. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Nine, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. And we're going to understand now. Their fathers there is not talking about Abraham. Is there in the verse. Which fathers? In the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of where? The land of... So he tells you the fathers of a particular generation. In a particular generation. 
Because Abraham was not with them in Egypt. Abraham did not go out of Egypt with them. Abraham was before them. So we understand the fathers is referring to here is not Abraham. He's not even Isaac. He's not even Jacob. He's not even Joseph. Because Joseph died before they left Egypt. He's the generation that came out of Egypt he's talking about. You see, you've got to decide what kind of father you will be. Everybody's going to be a father if you live long enough. I hear what I'm saying now. And it's, the story will be told of the things you did. Whether you are a father that made life better for the next generation or made it worse. Or made things harder. Live your life in a way that makes it easier for the next generation. Live your life, and that's just by the wayside, in a way that makes it easier for the next generation. Hallelujah. So you see, therefore, that this does not include Abraham, because it was with Abraham that God made the new covenant. So you will be surprised now that, as it were, even though we say old and new covenant, the new actually came before the old. Let's look at it now. In Acts chapter 3, verse 25 to 26, he says, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham. So notice now, he's talking about fathers again, but he specifically tells us which fathers he's referring to. And he says it's Abraham. And I'm glad that in the new covenant, we are connected to Father Abraham, not to that generation that came out of Egypt. Yes, sir. Romans 4, 16, Wherefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that a promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those which are of the law, but also of those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham, my father. Uh -huh. Not that generation that came out of Egypt. That's not a good generation to associate with. Are you seeing this? So back in Acts chapter 3. So it's very good to see that every time they say fathers, they try to help us know which generation. So he says, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. 26. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Did you see that? Of course, in, that, in those two verses, you will see clearly the covenant of God with Abraham. Here, he's talking about redemption in Christ Jesus, which is the new covenant. The major promise of God to Abraham, listen to this now, even though it affected his material life, but God's main promise to Abraham and covenant with Abraham had to do with salvation. Are you getting this now? I'll repeat that again. Now, because it would be an extreme statement to say the covenant of God with Abraham only had to do with salvation. That's not correct. I'm going to show you now that covenant is going to affect you in three ways. It's going to affect your identity, your status, and your future. It will. The covenant God made with Abraham affected his status. That is, it affected his well-being. It affected his health, affected his wealth, affected his material substance, possessions. But most importantly, it had to do with what? Salvation which is found in Christ. It's very important to know what is the most important one. Or the more important one. 
But that one is the more important does not make the other one irrelevant. Because we're going to see it. We're going to look at it in Genesis 15 where God made that covenant with Abraham. But I want us to read Acts 13 also and verse 32 to 33. He says, and we declare unto you, this is Paul preaching, we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So you see again, Paul, just like Peter did on the day of Pentecost, or Peter did in Acts 3, there was after you, uh, they healed the guy at the gate called Beautiful. Paul is also making reference to the covenant God made with the fathers, which is Abraham. And he's still talking about the fact that that covenant had to do with the resurrection of Christ from the dead, which is what brought our justification, our redemption. Are you getting this now? Yes, sir. So Paul is the second apostle who's saying that. And so notice, let's read that in the Passion Translation. Acts 13, verse 32 to 33. Acts 13, verse 32 to 33. The Passion Translation. Come on, quickly, 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 put it on screen. So here we are to share with you some wonderful news. The promise God made to our forefathers has now been fulfilled for us. Their children, for God has raised Jesus from the dead, as it says in Psalms, today I reveal you as my son and I, and I as your father. So he said, God made a promise. He fulfilled it by raising Christ from the dead. Therefore, the promise he made was he will raise Christ from the dead. Jesus made this clear. Go to John 8. Let's go quickly. Hallelujah. Somebody say, I love the word of God. I love, the word of God. I love it. And so in verse 56, Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it. And was what? Glad. Did you see that? What day? The day of his resurrection. That's what Abraham saw on Mount Moriah. In Hebrews 11, the Bible says, Abraham received Isaac from the dead in a figure. You know what that means? It's simply saying that Isaac became like an apparatus for experiment. Let's go to Hebrews 11. Glory to Jesus. And we're going to read from verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. So notice he said he had received the promises. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence also he received him in a what? Figure. A figure pointing to who? Christ. So when Abraham saw Isaac get up from that altar. What was God showing him? Christ, Christ raised from the dead. So when Jesus says in John 8, 56, your father, did you see Abraham rejoiced to see my day? He said he saw it and he was glad. Are you seeing this now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Isn't God wonderful? It's wonderful. So it means God made a promise to Abraham. I will raise Jesus from the dead. That was the message God preached to Abraham that Abraham believed. And it was now accounted to him for what? Righteousness. You read Romans 4, you see that there in Galatians 3. Let's go to Galatians 3. Put Galatians 3, 8 on the screen. Glory to God. 
scriptures for saying that God will justify the heathen through faith. Preach before the gospel unto who? Saying in thee shall all nations be. What is that blessing? Justification by faith. (laughs) Just like Abraham. I'm justified. I'm justified. (laughs) Some of you are looking like a deer in front of a flashlight. I'm talking about you. Glory to God. (laughs) We have a song like that. We've had that song from Ife. I'm justified. I'm not condemned. My sins are erased by the blood. Hallelujah. Beautiful. So don't worry. They will teach you. <laughs> Those who know will, will teach you. Hallelujah. Yeah. The guy who wrote that song was one of our keyboardists then. He's in Abuja. Ayogunle wrote that song. It was Ayogunle. Yes, it's Ayogunle that wrote it. Hallelujah. Sometimes it makes, I think like it was a dummy, you know, who wrote it. But I, I think dummy should remember it anyway. Yeah, but Ayo wrote that song. Justified. 2015 or 14. What's happened? 14. Huh? 13? 16. Wonderful. Powerful song. I'm justified. I'm, justified. I'm not condemned. I'm not. My sins I read. By what? By what? Come on. By what? By what? Come on. By what? By what? By the blood. Glory to God. So you understand all these things. So God made a covenant with the fathers to raise Jesus from the dead. And we see clearly that this is the covenant that is referred to as the new covenant. This is the message that was preached to the fathers. All those people you saw in Hebrews 11, by faith this, by faith that, by faith this, by faith that. Now, it was preached to them representing different things in their times. The ark of Noah, a representation of Jesus Christ, the ark of salvation. You see what I'm saying? They did those things literally, but those things were representing something. And that's why you notice that Hebrews 4 tells us also that Moses was preaching the gospel to the nation of Israel, but they rejected it. You see in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. You see also in 1 Corinthians 10, that as he gave them manna to eat, as he brought water from the rock, he was using it to also preach to them at the same time. He said, because when Paul wrote of it in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, they drank from that rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. All those things that they were doing, and you see in Hebrews 3 and 4, it makes it clear there that all those 40 years God tried them. Yeah, but their hearts were still filled with unbelief. Everything God was doing, Moses was using it as a symbolism and preaching Christ to them at every point, but they rejected it. So Hebrews 4, let's go quickly to Hebrews 4, and in Hebrews 4, we're going to read verse 1. And it says, let us therefore fear, lest, now fear there doesn't mean to be afraid. Fear there means we should have reverence. You see, lest a promise be left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. Verse 2, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, them who? Them that were in the wilderness. Because you see it in Hebrews 3. Did you see? But the word preached did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Have you seen that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They heard it. Yes, sir. 
Go to chapter 3. From verse 16. For some, when they had heard. Now we read in chapter 4, it said they heard it, but they didn't mix with faith. 16 says, for some, when they had heard, did provoke. Albeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. So he's saying, this was the generation that he's referring to. He said there were a few of them who believed. And we know those ones. Caleb and Joshua. Out of an entire generation. And that's why you see, you must never follow the multitude to do evil. God does not bless what is popular. He blesses what is right. And most often than not, the majority are almost always wrong. From one generation to another, one case to another case, read the Bible, you'll notice the majority are almost always on the side of evil. You've got to learn how to stand with God even when and if it means standing alone. You've got to make up your mind to do that. So he says, but with whom was he grieved? Verse 17, 40 years. Was it not with them that had sinned? Whose carcasses fell where? In the wilderness. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Is it not simple? Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. So all this is clear to you now. That the law found fault in them and we know that generation did you see this but the new covenant was made with abraham now why it was made with abraham before the law came did you see this is basically because you see the covenant god made with abraham which is the new was a prophetic thing that was going to happen and it did happen it has now happened we've seen acts 3 acts 13 in Christ Jesus. Can you see this? Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Praise God. But notice we're looking at covenant, basically. And I told you earlier on that covenant is going to change three things. Number one, it will change your identity. Covenant will change your identity. And so you see, Abraham became Abraham. And did you notice, in the same vein, Sarai, that's S-A-R-A-I, became what? Sarah. Did you notice the similarity in what changed in those two names? Is the inserting of two letters, A-H or H-E. Now, theologians tell us, and you go, if you go study yourself, you'll find out, those two letters, A-H, they make the same sound as Jehovah. And that's actually what they represent. It wasn't Abraham and Sarah that stood up one day and said, I want to just get a fanciful name for myself. Uh, your name from whom? Eh? Your real name from whom? Is Akmoke. <laughs> then you come to Lagos and you funk. If I just say, I'm looking for a, a, a funky one and you now call yourself punk. <laughs> you guys are very good at doing it. <laughs> Punks. Punks. Punky. <laughs> so it wasn't like Abraham woke up one morning and said, let me look for something fanciful and slurring in my name. No. It was God who told them, your name will now be Abraham. And as for your wife, her name will now be Sarah. 
In other words, God by himself inserted those two letters into their name. Because covenant changes your identity. God put his name in the midst of their name. That's what he did. God put his name inside Abraham's name. Put his name inside Sarah's name. That you will no longer just be your own self. You will now carry my identity. Abraham. Sarah. In other words, every time you call your name, you will call my name with it. In other words, you are named by my name. You are called by my name, in other words. That's what God is doing to them. Well, guess what? Even in our covenant with God, not only does our name change, God's name changed too when he made a covenant with Abraham. God will now introduce himself as the God of Abraham. <laughs> are you seeing this now? Because covenant is going to change your name. You'll change your identity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In other words, once you cut a covenant, you will never remain the same. Yes, sir. You're never going to remain the same again. Your identity is going to be altered for life. So that generations after, God is still calling himself by that. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. Imagine almighty God altered his name because he made a covenant with the man. Say, this is what you're going to address me by from now because I've made a covenant with you. Your name has entered mine. Mine has entered yours. <laughs> you know, sometimes when I, when, when, when they want to address me and, and mom and together and I see something I want to write it because I feel it's always too long. So I say, Reverend and Pastor Mrs. Peter and Funola Labi. I just leave it as Reverend and Mrs. Funola Labi like that. I hear what I'm saying. I just, it has changed everything. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Reverend Peter and Pastor Mrs. is too long. I hear what I'm saying. Just, the name has entered. Yes, sir. Are you saying this? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. He said to me, he said, he said, ah, he said, chairman, Pastor Peter, Okofu Lola, that's what he called me. I said, wonderful, I like that. <laughs> I said, I'm not thinking of it, nobody has called me like that before. I said, I like that, I like that. I like that, I like that. See how you altered my name. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. It's going to change your identity. Yes, sir. It's going to change your identity. You marry a woman, they're going to call you from now, you're a married man. Are you seeing this now? Oh, yeah. You cannot remain the same once you enter into a what? A covenant. A co you see, because I told you the word covenant is, is to cut berries. And it means to cut until blood flows. And you know that cut? It cuts both ways. If it doesn't cut both ways, it's not a covenant. It cuts both ways. So it's going to change your identity. Number two, covenant is going to change your status. It's going to change your status. Abraham became a father, whereas he wasn't one before the covenant. And like I just said to you now, even in contemporary times, you get into a married covenant, your status changes. You are no longer single, you are now married. Are you seeing this now? It changes your status. 
it changes your status. He says in First Peter chapter two, verse ten. First Peter two ten. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And here the word of the Lord said, which in time past were not a people, but are now the what? People of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we were not a people before, but status has changed. We are now the people of God. In other words, covenant will make you possess what you once lacked. Covenant is going to give you abilities you once never had. It's going to change your status. You'll be able to do what you previously couldn't do. You're going to see that with Abraham. I mean, sorry, David. David killed the lion, killed the bear, and killed Goliath. How many 14-year-olds have you heard of killing bears, killing lions, and then daring to face a national warlord in the presence of Goliath? It's not what 14-year-olds do, except for this one who has a covenant. Because when he faces Goliath, he exposes and reveals the secret. He's speaking covenant language. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine, circumcision is a mark of covenant. In other words, he's saying, I have what you don't have. Therefore, I can do what you cannot do. Hey, somebody hear what I'm saying tonight? Because covenant will change your status. It's going to change your status. I told you last week of a pastor in the U.S., you know, one of the fathers of the faith, during the lockdown, the pandemic, and they had serious ministry challenges and things were tough, and he was just praying and, you know. And he said one day, the Lord said to him, when will you even act like somebody that has a covenant? Now, was it possible to have a covenant and not act like it, and therefore not live like one who has it, and not enjoy it? But David knew that. And so he took full advantage. Number three, a covenant will change your future and your destiny. A covenant will change your future and your destiny. Genesis 15. Genesis 15. And the Bible tells us here, God speaking to Abraham in verse 13, and he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that I see shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. Afterward shall they come out with great substance. Did you see this? Verse 15. And thou, he's talking to Abraham, shall go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in good old age. It was at the point where God caught a covenant with Abraham that God told him, you're going to live long. And you're going to live strong with absolutely nothing wrong. It was at that point of the covenant. In other words, that covenant altered his future. That covenant began to dictate the future to him. And in that covenant, God made it clear, this is how your life will be. You will live long. And when it's time to die, you will die in peace. That's me. That's me. Glory. Not that because you're reading about Abraham, you feel he just stumbled on long life. Nobody ever stumbled on long life. 
is telling him what's going to happen to him. You will go to your fathers in peace. And you shall be buried in good, in a good old, oh boy. God didn't just say old age. Good old age. Good old, so there is old age, but there's good old age. That's the one for me. Good old age. Oh boy. Good old age. <laughs> God promised a man that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And this man, God promised this thing. Galatians 3 29 says, If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. So, whatever he said to Abraham, because you got to understand, the covenant God made with Abraham is a covenant that has outlived him. That extends to those who I see. Yes, and he tells me here, if I am of Christ, yes, then I am Abraham's seed. Yes, so what God says to Abraham here in Genesis 15, he's saying to me, I will go to my fathers in peace. And I keep telling you, why your fathers? Abraham. Again. Again. <laughs> are you hearing me tonight you will go to your fathers in peace and you will what be buried in good <laughs> so in case you've been looking for more scriptures on long life that's one <laughs> buried in good old age Good old age. No sickness, no disease. I live long. I live strong with nothing wrong. That's how we keep declaring. Satan has no say on how and when I leave. Yeah. Satan has no say. No. Because these are confessions that a believer must put on their li- on our lips. Because you see, I told you blood covenant is going to birth blood confidence and blood confession. Because as God is saying all these things to Abraham, do you see? This is part of why the man is confident. Yes, sir. It's bold. It's so bold. And he set a pattern for generations after him that they knew when it was time to leave. Because Abraham knew when it was time to go. Do you see this? And so he began to, you know, he, he came down to give inheritance to his children. Isaac followed the same pattern. Isaac knew it was time. Jacob followed the same pattern. Joseph followed the same. In fact, Joseph was so amazing. Joseph said, you know what, guys, guys, don't bury me here when I die. He said, because I know something. The future is sure. God will bring you to that land that he promised. See, Joseph is speaking confidently about what God promised his father Abraham. His great grandfather. He said, What God promised great grandpa is going to happen. He said, And you can imagine, I'm also getting old. Just like dad, just like granddad, and just like great granddad. I'm also living old, good, good old age. So when I die, don't bury me here. Take my bones with you because I want you to bury me in that land. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Because there is blood covenant that has better blood confidence in them. Could it be the reason why many Christians begin to talk doubt when they are going through hard times? Is because they've not allowed the covenant settle in them enough to birth that blood confidence. Because it's blood confidence that will make you know that no matter how tough things are, I'm going to come out on top. That's what gives you that confidence. Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm going to come out on top. No matter how bad it may seem, it's going to work out for my good. Somewhere along the line, things will turn. Hey, 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 hey. Is somebody hearing me tonight? That somewhere along the line, things will turn. <laughs> that if I have not won, then it's not the end. Yes, sir. Ay, 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 ay. It cannot be the end. Cannot be the end. <laughs> I have not won. And you're saying it's the end. Lie, lie, it's not possible. Oh, and then you tell Emma Wu. Emma Wu. That something will just change now. Because the thing about the covenant is that covenant brings guarantees, assurances, certainties. These were the things God said to Father Abraham. So it it changes your identity, it changes your status, and it changes your destiny, your future. Did you see this? And, and with that, we look at the purpose of the covenant. Please sit down. Hallelujah. We look at the purpose of the covenant. Number one is confidence. Confidence. I told you last week while I was uh, praying one day, the Lord said to me, you know, there are many dictionary meanings for the word confidence, but the Lord gave me this particular one. I told you last week, it is a logical, reasonable defiance of threats or danger. Confidence is the logical, reasonable defiance of threats or danger. And I told you that this logic or reason can be natural or supernatural. That there are people who are just naturally confident. And it has nothing to do with anything from God. It's just based on some logic they have. You know, they put some things in place. And I gave you an example last week of people who do circles, magic. You know, you watching the show, you're, you're freaking out, but the guy is going to jump. Or, you know, the magic shows, the guy is going to carry the sword and he's going to say, I'm going to cut the lady in, in half. And then you're like, ah. You know, I, you know I, I saw one the other day, long some time ago. On uh, was it Indians got talent or Britain? One of those, you know, Britain's got talent, talent, whatever. One of those countries, and you know, they brought a lady and they were going to saw the lady into two. And even the judges were cringing. Even I, even I, at some point, I had to take the phone. Like, oh. But the guys who were doing the magic. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't even blink. They were just doing what they were doing because they knew what we didn't know. Yes, sir. Especially the lady that was being used. <laughs> she had an assurance. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's what confidence is. That's what made her defy the risk in that event. Because she knew that there's something they've done. They've put some things in place. 
And I'm sure before they came on that show, they must have considered those things well. They must have checked, verified all those. I'm sure she in particular would have verified. Are you sure? Are you sure? Is it there? And by the time they show everything, and she's certain, she just, she just gets on the stage and says, come on, go ahead. Do whatever you want to do. Because she, she has the logic behind a defiance of that risk. But there is confidence that is not natural. It's supernatural. That's the kind that Abraham had. Again, you notice what covenant did to Abraham. In Romans 4, the Bible says, who against hope believed in hope. In other words, there was nothing in the physical, no reason, no logic in the natural for Abraham to still believe that he would be a father. But he knew he had a covenant with God. A God that can do all things. Because the Bible says he considered not the deadness of his own body, being a hundred years old, or the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, their odds were stacked up against them. There was no reason, no reason to believe. You know, you guys should know it. The deadness of Abraham's body means he was impotent at, at that age. So imagine both he and his wife were impotent. And yet the man still believed we will have children. And he was confident because the Bible calls it he was fully persuaded. Where did he get the confidence from? Covenant. 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 Because it's one thing to know that God can. It's another thing to know that God will. And the moment covenant is involved, the will of a person uh, is already implicated. So you, once you get into a covenant with somebody, you've got to be willing to be on their side. You, it's no longer a negotiation. You have implicated your will already. You know, David Livingstone, when they came to Africa, if you go read history, I mean, those were days where they were cannibals. They could eat you and, and all of that. But he got to a particular town where God used him to perform the miracle, saved his life, and that, that particular clan was the most powerful. And the chief of that clan gave him his staff of authority and told him anywhere you go just bring it out nobody would dare touch you again and everybody went when they brought it out nobody dared to touch him because they knew you touch him that man is coming with his army to, to get you why because it was a token of covenant that man made with him that your enemies will be my enemies same way God said to Abraham those who bless you are blessed those who curse you are cursed of course you know the implication is is that if they curse you, their curse will have to go back on them. Yes, if they bless you, the blessing will also go upon them. Yes, That's the implication. Yes, sir. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Yes, and I was going to simply say, your disposition towards who, I, who I'm in a covenant with will determine the disposition of my power towards you. Mm. You attack it, it's going to defend itself, and in defending itself, you will be sure you are going to be attacked. Mm. You favor it, it's going to favor you. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? And so, you understand, when there is a covenant like that, your will is already implicated. So, Abraham knows God's will is already implicated, and he knows God can do all things. Therefore, the deadness of Sarah's womb and the deadness of his own body did not bother him anymore, because he had something else to consider. And what was he considering? God's ability. Same thing his wife did. Because she was already implicated in that covenant. The Bible says she judged God faithful who had promised. That he's going to do it. Because you've got to understand, even though she laughed at first in unbelief, the Bible tells us she believed God. Hebrews 11. 
He said, by faith, say ourselves, receive strength to conceive. See. Look at that. By faith. Put it on the screen for me. Hebrews 11, 11. Double up, double up, double up, double up, double up. Through faith also, say ourselves, receive strength to conceive seed. And was delivered of a child when she was past age. Because she judged him faithful. Who had what? Promise. So in other words, Sarah also had confidence. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Bethed by the covenant. Yes, Are you getting this now? Yes, sir. So don't be saying there is no hope. Covenant people don't talk like that. Yes, Go to Romans 4. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yes. And we'll begin reading from verse 19. And be not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was what? Strong in faith, giving glory to God. 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. My God. So what is it? Blood confidence. So you see, Father Abraham had confidence because he had this covenant with God. Glory to Jesus. Also in Genesis 15, you will notice how that conversation ensued between Abraham and God. Verse 7 to 8. And he said unto him, I am the Lord God, I am the Lord rather, that brought thee out of the ore of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And notice in verse 8, Abraham said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And so you notice... Verse 9, and he said unto him, Take me an he of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each, one, each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and lo, an horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. Then finally God says, and afterward shall they come out with great what? Substance. So, but notice what led to this issue. God is talking to Abraham about something he's going to do. Abraham says, how am I going to know? Now I was, I need a guarantee. I need to be bold about this. And in response to that, God said, I'm going to cut a covenant with you. So in other words, the man wanted confidence. God answered with a covenant. <laughs> so you're telling me you're going to do this and that and that. How am I going to know that you're going to do it? God said, no problem. Let's cause a covenant. And God speaks in no uncertain terms. This will happen to your seed. This will happen to your seed. However, they will come out. So, in spite of the oppression in Egypt, what brought them out was the basis of the covenant God made with your father Abraham. So sometimes it's possible for your kids to go through some stuff, but because of the covenant in your life, they will come out of it, not by their power, not by their might, not by their strength, but because the covenant is speaking. Ay, 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 ay. 
You know, this generation is a generation that doesn't really know much about covenants. They don't. They don't. Now, I was telling mom, you know, recently, and I said, you know, we don't honor people just because of them. We honor people because of God's position about them. That's why we honor people. <laughs> That's why we honor people. If you don't know that, you can't live a life of honor. We honor people not because of them, primarily. No. It's because of God's position, God's estimation of them, what God has said about them. So if God looks, if God calls you and calls your attention to a person and says, that, that fellow, that is my opinion. This is my opinion about him. This is my value of him. This is my evaluation of him. This is my disposition towards him. Better take it that way. If you do otherwise, you will suffer for it. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it or, you know, whatever. The moment God reveals somebody to you and says, this man, this is the way I see him. This is my evaluation of him. This is my value of him. Just take it that way. Forget about any other thing. Forget about it. Especially if you get close to that man and you see that he's just a man like you. He sleeps like you. He can be hungry like you. He's so simple. You know. In fact, he forgets things. Maybe he has even forgotten your name. I can be a person that maybe, maybe I've asked you, I've, I promise you, I'll not forget again. I'll not forget again. Then. And you say, ah, but dad, you used to quote, quote Bible. Why are you forgetting my name? Already? So is it the Bible you love? You don't love me. You know, and all that. You know, that in spite of the person's frailties, honor is not about any other thing except for what does God say about the person. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what, and that's what God was saying in Acts 9 about Saul of Tarsus. He was saying to Ananias, he said, look, look. Ananias was talking. This is what people have said about this man. He has received letters to arrest people. He has been doing damage to the church. He's a dangerous man. God said, look, now you shall be other one way they talk. Look, he is a chosen vessel. That's what I'm telling you now. So, all that what you're saying, I don't care. I don't even know what you're saying. I don't understand what you're talking about. He's a chosen vessel. So, okay, go and lay hands on him. That's what I've told you to do. Because if you argue too much, that God will say, okay, don't worry, shift. Let me look for somebody else. Since you don't want to value what I value, then get out of my way. Hmm. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Yes, yeah. What, what has God said about your husband? Take it like that. Yes, sir. He said, wife, submit to your husband. Submit. Yes, Don't sir. be woke. Yes. Don't be talking rubbish and be saying, uh, uh, you know, uh, I've told you, there is, there is no mutual submission in marriage. It's total nonsense. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, there is mutual honor, but there's no mutual submission. Yes, sir. How can two people in the relationship submit, submit to each other? In every relation, I can tell you, even amongst friends, if you look well, there's somebody that is the chief man. Oh. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm telling you, the problem with human beings is that they don't just recognize it. And that's how many people will struggle in life. Go and check amongst your circle of friends. There's always one person that always breaks through on something beyond before everybody else. But I recognize that person and respect him. And some saying just because, just because. They were all apostles of Jesus Christ. Peter was the chief man. Everybody knew. And in case they had forgotten, in Acts 15, he told them, he reminded them, he said, God made selection of me amongst all of us that I will be the one to preach to the Gentiles. So Peter said, maybe you're both forgotten. I am the one he sent to. <laughs> Find it for me, Acts 15. He stood up. Ah, he said, a long while ago, he said, God chose me. He made choice. I like Peter for that one. He said, ah. he said God chose me, oh, in case people have forgotten. Yeah. So that, uh, it's Peter, James, and John that he used to take to the mountain. However, Peter is above. He's ahead. Look at it. And when they had been much disputing, and that's the thing, Peter said the argument is getting too much here. 
So Peter stopped. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, he still gets shot at them. He said, Men and brethren, calm down. You know how that a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, not your mouth, my mouth, <laughs> by my mouth, should hear the word of God, of the gospel rather, and believe. Yeah? You know what Peter is saying? Amongst all of us here, who has ever gone to America first? Before you? That's like what Peter is saying. He said, who first went to America and, and people received the gospel? He said, not me first travel. <laughs> That's what Peter is trying to tell them. And he's trying to say to them, it was not a, a mistake. It was not a coincidence. Yes, sir. Uh, that I was hungry waiting for food. Yes, and I fell into a trance. Yes, and I saw all manner of four-footed beasts. And I was arguing with the Lord. And he said to me, arise, kill and eat. And what I have cleansed, don't call unclean. And I woke up still thinking about the vision, what it might mean. And the Lord said to me, there are three men downstairs that have been sent to bring you. Follow them without asking any question because I sent them. When I got to the house of Cornelius, they received me. And while I was preaching, while I yet speak, the same Holy Ghost fell on them as he fell on us on the day of Pentecost. So what are we now saying? Now, even though we are all playing together, we must know our mates. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we must recognize who carries certain graces amongst us. Because God didn't put that person there by mistake. And as I've told you, every time you see such men, especially amongst friends, it is for your good. However, anointing flows through the channel of estimation. Yes, if you don't esteem the person the way God esteems the person, you will miss what God sent to you through the person. If you don't esteem them the way God esteems them, you will miss what God sent to you through them. In a family, you must rec- recognize it. Among siblings, you must recognize it. Are you getting this now? Yeah. Amongst your friends, you must recognize it. Whatever God calls it is what we must call it. We must honor what God honors. You may not like the person. God didn't ask you about your liking. Your liking, use it on Facebook. That's your problem. (laughs) But when God says that's the man to honor, better honor that man. Honor that woman. Honor that boy. Honor that girl. Recognize them for who God says they are. When you marry a man, wife, submit. Husbands, he said you must give honor to your wife. To honor your wife already tells you that your headship over her is not to lord it over her. It's not to abuse authority. Because you are still even in your position of authority over your wife. You are commanded to honor that your wife. And I don't understand how slapping a person is honoring them. I don't understand how speaking down to a person is honoring them. Are you know what I'm saying? If you're going to honor somebody, you're going to speak well of them. You're going to speak well to them. You're going to treat them well. You're going to consider their emotions, how they feel. And a man needs to understand that too. Are you getting me now? And I'm glad I'm I'm not pastoring a church where women will start saying, tell them when I said this kind of thing now. (laughs) Because if you have said, tell them, I will put you on a regimen for the next three months to deal with the stubborn spirit inside you. Because it's a stubborn spirit that makes women respond like that. It's someone's spirit that is not ready to pay attention to your own instruction. The problem many Christians, why their homes are in shambles is because their wife is struggling with the instruction God gave to her husband. The husband is fighting over the instruction God gave to his wife. And nobody is doing what God told them to do. The, the boy of them become monitoring spirits. Inspectors of the spirit. Say, I'm inspecting you. You are not doing what God told you to do. 
So the one God told you, have you, have you done it? You should busy yourself obeying what God told you as a wife. Husband, busy yourself with what God told you as a husband. Stop fighting your wife over you are not submissive. You are not submissive. You are not submissive. Chief. <laughs> you are not submissive. Don't fight over submission. Yes, sir. Keep loving your wife. Yes, sir. Because the Bible never says you should stop loving her even if she's not submissive, yes, submissive to you. Yes, sir. And they say with woman, the Bible didn't say you should stop submitting if he's not loving. Yes, sir. Just do what the word told you to do. Yes, sir. You will not give an excuse before God that the reason why you stopped loving your husband or uh, your wife is because he, he wasn't uh, submitted to your husband is because he wasn't loving. It's not going to fly before God. Mm-hmm. Same thing as a husband. I, I, I cannot love a very strong. God, even if it's you, cannot love this kind of woman. <laughs> so that's, that's where your case will finish before God. And God will tell you, the church, do you know how much problem they give me? And I never stop loving the church. Mm-hmm. You just got to be ready to do the will of God. I told you, the, the simplest marriage seminar, I've been preaching it for over 15 years, that I preach is be a Christian at home. That's the shortest marriage seminar ever. And if you can obey that simple marriage seminar, it's not up to five seconds. That seminar, I can start and finish it now. Now, <laughs> the Christians are too. Yes, if husband and wife are Christians are too, the marriage will work. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that's how you notice that it is not so much of marriage seminars we need. We need more of Christians who will do the word, yes. who will come to Bible seminars, faith seminars, hear the word, and go and do it at home. Yes, so yes, we can do marriage seminars, but our marriage seminars should be more of teachings of the word and teachings to encourage believers to do the word. Yes, sir. Most of our marriage, our wedding ceremonies in this church, the ones I officiate that most of us, my emphasis at weddings is do the word. That's why I don't preach long at wedding ceremonies. Have you noticed? My messages at my wedding ceremonies are up to 15 minutes. Yes, the more, as I am a very long teacher of the word like this, on your wedding day, I don't waste my time. <laughs> Except if I'm preaching to those I am not pastoring. Yes, that one now, we may have to do two hours of preaching. I don't know them. <laughs> and which is the reason why I hardly officiate weddings anymore. <laughs> you get what I'm saying now? Yeah. If I will preach in a wedding, the members, the two people must be my members. Because I will, it will make my preaching make sense. Yes, sir. That all I've been teaching you, go and do it. That's what I want to tell you. <laughs> That's what I say. I mean, all of you that I preach a wedding, that's what I told you. On your wedding day, all I will tell you is everything I've been teaching you, we are going to do it now. <laughs> I mean, uh, all your guests, they want to eat. <laughs> you don't know. On your way there, they don't care about you. It's food. They want to come out. You think it's you they care about. People are just waiting to show off their new clothes that they bought for your wedding. <laughs> Have a great time. Eat, you know, meet new friends or old friends. You know, meet family members and everything. How many people have time for you on your wedding day? Even you, do you have time for people on your wedding? <laughs> so, want to eat. So, I mean, I don't waste my time. Nobody's really listening <laughs> to that message. That's how I've shortened it. <laughs> so I just emphasize be two hours of the way. Because if you do this word that we have been teaching you, your marriage will work. Yes, to work. The problem is most people don't do the word. Because that's why you begin to find reasons not to obey the word. You say, ah, I didn't know it would be this difficult. What is all this? Ah, I didn't know your life is like this. So, <laughs> so all the time I was toasting and you were smiling. So you have this stubborn goat head. <laughs> Like when you have your first argument with your wife, and then you know, I say, Ah, so you can argue like this. You are so gentle, sister, in the church. <laughs> so you can talk, talk like this. <laughs> ah, you look at us, but you did not used to talk in church those days. <laughs> Before you say five things, you have said 50. Amplified version. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And some of you almost carry your hands and say, <laughs> If you try that with me, I want to say, Son! <laughs> then face your wife. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Just do what the Bible says. Just do what the Bible says. Love your wife. Submit to your husband. That's what God calls him, the head. Take it like that. You go to a local church, you submit to the pastor. Don't come with your own ideas of, I, I, I don't like, I don't like, I don't really like the way we do things in this church. So, okay, so what should we do? We should do it your way. What's your way, actually? Billings way or where? <laughs> or King's way. What's your way? <laughs> All right, that would do your way. So whose church will it be? Your church. <laughs> the church is not a place where people, where the church will have to conform to your way. It's a place where you learn to conform. And if you don't conform in the way of the local church, you will conform to the world. That's what's waiting for you. Yeah. You don't go to church and look at the, at the resident pastor and say, it's not the way God used to say it though. <laughs> 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 and then you're looking somewhere at the pastor and say, ah, she we were all in secondary Sunday school together. <laughs> yeah, we're the same set in MIT's now. So they ah, so you see that is resident pastor. Ah, Fugao. <laughs> So, so I would have been saying sir to you now. Yeah, so if I, your own sir should be very loud at all times. There should be a loudspeaker inside it. Because, and you got to understand it, some of those things are going to happen to some of you. Yes, sir. As the church is spreading. Yes, sir. There are centers that will be pastored by people who are your friends. And let me tell you and warn you in advance. All right? In a local church, the pastor can be friendly with you, but he is not your friend. So it means if you were friends before I became the pastor, better rearrange yourself. Except you don't want to be blessed. Because you don't receive a prophet in the name of a friend and expect to receive the prophet's word. So shouldn't we still be able to talk as friends and gist? (laughs) Well, go look for other friends. I'm telling you now, those are the realities of the calling. Oh, yes. You want to be blessed by that man? Better adjust your relationship immediately. Immediately. And from being friends, adjust it to just being friendly. I'm telling you now. Telling you now. You know, it's only the church that people have these funny ideas. Do you know that if, if you, now you, you shouldn't go to the cult, but the cult people confrontalities, if a person is in the Ogboni, for example, alright, and then maybe somebody just joins the Ogboni confraternity and this person is a professor, but the leader of that confraternity happens to be maybe a school sat older. You know, the professor is not going to come into that Ogboni confraternity and say, because I'm a professor. Therefore, Oga, you should flow me. No. He's going to bow to that man that is a school sat older. It is only in church that people have crazy ideas. So you come to the local church because you're a professor and the pastor is a part two student. So you now feel you should use your professorship to lord over the pastor. You've got to be crazy. Because people of the world understand that. 
Why should Christians not understand that? Mm. That the things of the spirit are higher than your status in the society. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When the mother of Jesus in the flesh, Mary Magdalene, came around with his siblings and they said they are looking for him, Jesus delayed them. He continued preaching. And he wasn't being disrespectful. Because if you want your son to be your son, it's not when he's doing his work of ministry that you now come and say, Look, we just want to get the. That's the implication. That was the implication. Call him out, Gary. Ah, they knew he was ministry now. Then I came and said, ah, We are looking, go and tell him to come. So those ones who came and said, ah, Your mother and your brethren are looking for you. Jesus knew what they were trying to do and he stopped them instantly there. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't succumb to it. He said, My brethren are those who do the will of God. Because if he had obeyed that instruction at that point, that is, that is like belittling him. You know, those people who tell you and say, oh, We knew anyway, small boy. Yeah. Learn that too. Yes, Learn that too. It's not about age. It's not about status. What makes a pastor your leader is not that he has more money than you. You might have 10 times more money than a pastor has. That's not what makes him your leader. It's the appointment of God. The election of God's grace. That makes the pastor the leader in the local church. It's not even his age. You could be older. You could be older. Don't say, oh, because I'm older than you, and you know, uh, my last born is, is even older than you. So why should I need that for you to lay hands on me? Well, go and let be blessed by your age. <laughs> let your age bless you and keep you. You will kneel down now, we'll lay hands on you. You know that it's not age that is laying hands. It's the authority of Jesus, the head of the church. Are you getting this now? Yes, sir. So we honor what God honors. Yes, the book will be out. We're, we're done with it already. You know, Honor to whom it is due. It's one of my new books. It's going to help you a whole lot. Explain in detail there who to honor. Different people to honor. Because Peter says, honor all men. So who are, that, who are those all men? We spelled it out in the book. Yeah. Because you must know who to honor in life. Sometimes the reason why some things elude us is because we have not honored the people that carry those things. And you can struggle all you like. If that is where God placed it, that's the only place you will get it. So you, you disregard that channel, then you, you live without it for life. For life. Are you seeing this now? I told you something. That's why I see families, you see people dying of sickness, and God has anointed a member of their family with the healing anointing. But they won't listen to that person. They won't receive of that grace. And they are dying of that sickness there. See cases where people are struggling. Poverty is riddling their life and everything. And there's somebody in their family that has the grace for prosperity. And they are not honoring that person. Right? They are envious of the person. They are jealous of him. That's what I'm saying. And so they, they, they remain broke all their life. All their life. For no reason. And it's not God's plan. For them to suffer. But just because they despise what God has honored. Somebody say, I honor what God honors. Say, I honor who God honors. Hallelujah. So, we've seen the first purpose of covenant is confidence. And the last thing God said to Abraham in verse 14 days, he said, and they shall afflict them 400 years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward, they shall come out with great substance. So you now look at it. Did they really come out with great substance? The Bible says so. You see in, in, in the book of Psalms, Psalms, did you see this? 
Psalms, and before we go to Psalms, and in verse 18 of that Genesis 15, in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So now in Psalm 105, verse 37, and then we'll skip to 43 and 44. So let's read verse 37. It says, He brought them forth also with, with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Do you see that? God said to Abraham when he made that covenant in Genesis 15, he said, when they are coming out of Egypt, he said they will come out with great substance. And here we see that he brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. In verse 43 to 44, he says, and he brought forth his people with joy, not sadness, and his chosen with gladness, and gave them the lands of the heathen, and they inherited the labor of the people just as he said he kept his word but i told you earlier on notice that god's main covenant with abraham was about redemption but it also affected his material physical life and that's evidence to that and we notice when he was making that covenant in genesis 15 he spelled it out clearly that your children will come out with great what substance God wants you rich. Yes, and I've told you what rich means. It means to be abundantly supplied, sufficiently provided for. Rich does not necessarily mean you're a billionaire. God never promised you to be a billionaire, a multi-millionaire, or a trillionaire. God's promise to you is that you will be abundantly provided for, sufficiently supplied. Now, for each person, depending on your assignment, your needs in life, rich may mean millions. For somebody else, rich may mean billions. For someone else, rich may mean trillions. Did you see? Depending on what is your assignment, what are your needs? Did you see that now? Yeah. So there is no way the Bible promises you're going to be a billionaire. No. Does your assignment require that? Did you see that? That is what God works with. So sometimes when you see a person who has, for example, a private jet, don't envy the man. You should go find out what his assignment is. And usually it is the assignment of such a person that, that necessitated that. Now, you don't have to say, just because a man of God has a private jet, then I want to have a private jet. That will not be covetousness. Yes, because does your assignment require one? If it doesn't, then don't crave for that. Because that is the extreme that people have taken the prosperity message to. And the teaching of the word of faith. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Yes, sir. I told you about prosperity. The first purpose of prosperity is what? Your assignment. It's your assignment. And that's why you let your assignment be very, very important to you. Make it your priority. Yes, because it's one thing to have the assignment. It's another thing to prioritize the assignment. Yes, if you will see and walk in prosperity. If you, are not, if you don't make your assignment your priority, you may not walk in the commensurate prosperity for it. Let me repeat that. If you don't make your assignment your priority, you may not walk in the commensurate prosperity for that assignment. That is, there is a commensurate prosperity for every assignment. A commensurate supply, provision, which you, you will only see as you take that assignment seriously. As you prioritize that assignment, then you will see the provision that God has made available for it. And that's why any, any, anywhere you see a person that is following God's plan circumspectly, 
you will notice your life will keep going from one level to a higher level as you are faithful to the plan of God for your life. That's how you can look back and say, there was a time we didn't have this, but now we have it. There was a time we didn't have it. Because as you were making progress in your faithfulness to that plan of God for your life, did you see, you were stepping into phases where you needed more. And God was faithful to provide more. The problem with many Christians sometimes is that they're not making any progress with the plan of God for their lives, but they expect God to keep upgrading them. For what? Why should God upgrade you? You're not doing anything. I remember when we were at Idaosa's last, last year, you know, when he invited me to preach there. I remember how, you know, his daughter was saying to us, and she said, when Papa was alive, there was something he kept doing. He, he never stopped doing projects. And he made a statement and said, he said, prosperity flows in the direction of activity that is ordained of God. So people looked at the man when he was alive, that, oh, he had a lot of wells and everything. But the man was always working. So the wealth was flowing in the direction of God-ordained, God-instructed activity. It wasn't just that, you know, money was just there for nothing's sake. That's why you need to renew your mind about what rich means to you. Are you getting this now? You need to renew your mind about what rich means to you. You stay in the center of God's will, you will be abundantly provided for, sufficiently supplied. At all times. Oh boy. At all times. He's able to make all grace abound towards me so that in all things I have all sufficiency. And I abound unto every good work. (laughs) So if I need it, I'm going to have it. And I'm not going to have it scarcely. I'm going to have it abundantly. Glory. So it means at any point where our assignment needs a thing, we're going to have it. If this assignment, if this mission requires a private jet, we will get it. Let every devil get angry. That's your problem. We'll get it. Yes, sir. If it requires it. Yes, sir. That's the truth. So, notice what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, oh, we have an ambition. We're going to be flying just all over the world. No, I don't talk like that. Have you noticed we don't make such confessions? No. (laughs) So, and neither will we also now be saying, those who are flying project, they are just wasting money. They should fly economy. (laughs) Because that's just senseless criticism. Just satanic. Because you don't know why, you don't know the assignment the man has. And at the end of the day, even if he's buying it and he doesn't need it, is it your money he used to buy it? Leave a person alone. She bought a loaf of wearer. Yes, sir. Think fly now. If you want to fly to join witchcraft and fly. Okay. <laughs> you can't afford a plane. <laughs> because what many people don't realize is when you say those things and criticize those things, if you, if you should need it, mm. your words will stand against you from getting it. It's going to stand against you. So what a believer should say is what we just confess. Alright? If we get to a point where we need it, we will get it. And we'll get it abundantly, with ease, with no compromise. There are certain things that should not be an ambition for a believer. And you get what I'm saying now? They shouldn't, they shouldn't be. 
Now, a desire is one thing. Ambition is another. Ambition is the fact that everything in your life is now pursuing just that thing. So it's not, it's not wrong to desire to have a lovely car, live in a beautiful house. And that's something I want. I personally don't really have any favorite car. Like, I'm sorry, dream car. I don't really understand because the truth is, it's even difficult to have dreams. You're having many dreams because by next year, another, another model is going to come up. So what will happen to your dream car last year? It's become a nightmare. <laughs> so I don't really bother myself about dream car. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Yeah. I don't really bother myself. Say, my dream car, my dream car. You will dream a lot too. <laughs> hey. But I, I, I desire to drive very good cars. Do you desire that kind of thing? Yes, sir. <laughs> and you know, if you keep it that way, it will protect your heart from covetousness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because with that kind of desire, I have no special attachment to any car. Yes, None. Not that you now fix it. Ha! Mercedes new. <laughs> Maybach. <laughs> well, if you don't take that, you'll be in Mayfair bus stuff with a long car. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But did I help you? Yes, sir. That's very important. So God fulfilled his covenant. God kept his word. He gave them material substance. And will he also give us today? Yes, sir. yes he will. Yes, Number two purpose of covenant is hope. In the Bible, hope is confident and joyous expectation of good. Bible hope is Confident and joyous expectation of good. I think we must have written up to 75% of the book titled Blessed Hope. I've not checked that, but I think we're 75% done with that. The Blessed Hope. Glory to God. So in the Bible, hope is confident and joyous expectation of good. Hebrews 6.18, that by two mutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Did you see this? Hope. When a covenant is made, you can have expectation that what God said will happen. Really, life is boring without an expectation. You've got to be expecting something. What are you expecting in your future? What are you expecting to happen to you? He said, I know the thoughts I think towards you, 29, 11, uh, Jeremiah. He said, said, the thoughts of good and not of evil. One translation says of hope. A future and a hope. He said, those are the thoughts I am thinking towards you. And you must think the same thing towards yourself. God actually expect some things to happen to you. You must expect the same thing. Job 8, 7, the Bible tells us, it says, though your beginning was small, your latter end should greatly increase. Your latter end should greatly increase. Because of the covenant of God with the Lord Jesus Christ at redemption, we have an expectation that our bodies will be changed at the coming of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 our conversation, which is the word citizenship originally, put it on the screen, is from heaven above, did you see, uh, from whence we expect a savior. Did you see? Who shall change our vile body 
that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. But go back to the previous verse again. Notice how he puts it. He says, for our conversation, citizenship is in heaven, from whence also, notice now, we look for the Savior. To look for the Savior means we expect the Savior. Did you see that now? So we're expecting that. We're expecting that. Now, notice in Romans 8, and this will help us, it's another scripture to pay attention to. In Romans chapter 8, and most of the time, and over the years, uh, this scripture is sometimes used wrongly. And so in Romans 8 from verse 19, for the annex expectation of a creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And you know, most often people will quote this and say, it's your time to manifest. <laughs> and usually that's a wrong interpretation of that verse. Because you've got to read the whole thing in its proper context. Did you see this? The word here in the Greek means disclosure or full disclosure of who we are. Alright? It's not about, oh, it's your season to manifest. It better not be. Because that means everything has ended. Because if you, if you, if you go reading from the previous verses, particularly from verse 11, he says, if the spirit of he that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. And, and he says he's going to do it by what? By his spirit that dwells in you. So notice, and this is talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and quickened his mortal body will do the same thing to you when Jesus comes back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what the scripture is saying. So notice, he now continues. You know, let's now keep reading verse 12. He said, therefore, brethren, we are dead us. Do you see? Not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. 13, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. 14, for the, for as many as are led by the spirit are what? The sons of God. 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry what? Have a father, the spirit himself, not itself, bears witness with our spirit that we are what? And then if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and what joined us with Christ, if so be that we what suffer with him, that we may be also hold on. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. What was the glory that followed the suffering of Christ? His resurrection from the dead. Which what body did he rise from the dead? A glorified body. Did you see that? Next verse. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the what? So notice the way he's using those two words. Suffering, glory, suffering, glory. Do you see that now? That the glory which shall be revealed in us. Do you see this? The 19 therefore now says, For the endless expectation of a creature, waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Put one hand there. Go quickly to 1 John 3, 1. 1 John 3, 1, we looked at it last Wednesday. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the what? You see, sons of God again. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Now, and as I told you, the word manifestation there is to disclose what was not known before. So it means the world did not know him. Just like they don't know us now. Know us to be what? Knew him to be what? 
the son of God. They didn't know him to be the son of God, just like they don't know us to be sons of God yet. And why is it that they don't know it? Because it has not been revealed in our bodies. We have the same bodies like every sinner. Corruptible body. The difference between you and an unbeliever now is the fact that the life of God is in your spirit. You have the same body as they do. That's why when you got born again, you didn't grow taller. You didn't have more flesh. You didn't even get finer. (laughs) Sorry to bust your bubble. You probably thought you would. You were hoping to boast to your friends and say, look look at me now, the life of God. Look at me, I'm a wonder. It doesn't matter what you see now. If you see his glory. They say, I don't see him. I don't see him. I don't see anything. Because that we're singing those things, you don't understand. We're not singing of, as though those things are showing in our physical bodies. They don't know. That's why they can look at and say, Pastor, no, in your knee. I've heard a boy say that. Pastor, in your knee. Pastor, too, is a human being. He's a human being like us. Why would they talk like that? Because really, when they look at you, look at, I mean, what's the difference between you and us? He eats like us. They are born again. What is this born again inside our body? <laughs> eh? We are all human beings. Why you Buddha carry this Jesus on your head? That's the same way they didn't know him. <laughs> they, they, they said he was a carpenter. Mark, Mark 6. They said, what, what's this? This is not the son of Joseph. Are his brethren not here with us? They didn't know him. In John 5, 17, when he said, my father walked here, that and I walked, they, they freaked out like, what? They're going to kill you. You make you human making yourself equal with God. Who do you think you are? They didn't know him to be the son of God. Not that they didn't know him. They knew him. This is Jesus. They knew him as a man. So what he's saying here is that they didn't recognize him as the son of God. And that's the same way they don't recognize us today also as sons of God. Because it has not shown. It has not been made known in our bodies. And what that tells you is that when you see a resurrected body, you will know. Ah, you will know how. Yes, <laughs> when Jesus rose from the dead, when they saw him, they knew he's not the same guy. Yes, sir. He's the Lord. We know. But this body is not the same. Yes, sir. Because they were in a room, the whole room was shut, and he walked in without opening the door. Yes, but much more so is the presence. There's something different about this kind of body. <laughs> Woo! Now I tell you one day we are going to walk in those same bodies. <laughs> and some of you tell some of those your bosses who refuse to hear the gospel and say, "So who's your daddy now?" <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what he's saying. Go back, go back to the scripture. First John three. So he said, the world didn't know him, just like the world doesn't know us. Did you see this? Verse 2 now. He says, beloved, now. So he's saying and insisting. Even then, they don't know, but we are sons of God already. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So what he tells you, therefore, is that it's not that we become sons of God at the rapture when our bodies are changed. We are already sons of God. In fact, it is because we are already sons of God, that's why our bodies will be changed. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So he says, and it does not yet appear. You know that was it has not yet been disclosed, revealed, fully disclosed 
He didn't say what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So back to Romans 8, 19. That's what he's saying. The manifestation of the sons of God. The disclosure of the sons of God. The disclosure. Now, we have a hope. That is our blessed hope. That at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be like him. It's not a prayer point. Lord, I want to be rapturable. No need. (laughs) The Holy Ghost is in you. He is the guarantee. And that's what covenants do. Covenants give you this guaranteed hope. Are you seeing this now? In Hebrews 6, he calls that hope our anchor. So our soul has an anchor. So the Christian faith is not some, some gamble. Can you imagine you're a gamble with your whole life? Where you're going to spend eternity? So we don't even know who's going to make it when Jesus comes. No. We have a covenant. In covenants, there are no gambles. It's clear what each party is going to do. And in this covenant, God says, everything is on me. It's on me. So I put the spirit inside of you. That's how we're reading it in Hebrews 8 earlier on. The first covenant had issues with the people. The issue was that the people had a responsibility to carry out something they didn't have capacity for. So he said, they couldn't continue in my covenant. But he said, the covenant I will make with this house of Judah. He said, that one, I will be the one to write my laws in their hearts. He said, they will walk in my ways. The law of God is not the law of Moses. Yes, sir. The law of God is perfect, combating the soul. He said, I will put it in there. And the law of God is his spirit. He is in me. That's why, that's why that prayer in Hebrews, that by the blood of the everlasting God, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, he said, by the blood or through the blood of the everlasting covenant, he make it, he by himself, he makes you perfect in every good work to do his will, walking in you. He said, I will walk it out in you. That which is well pleasing in my sight. That's the new covenant. As I looked at Abraham, he said, I'm the Lord God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. He's like God saying, stay on this path. You will get perfect there. And that's the thing you got to know. You can't walk with God on your terms and arrive at perfection. No. You walk with God on God's terms, you will arrive at perfection. Walk thou before me. In other words, this is the path I have for you. And you're going to find yourself gravitating towards that perfection. I told you last Wednesday, you've got to be gravitating away from the things of the world and gravitating towards the divine. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Gravitating towards the divine. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're closing now. Glory to God. Glory to God. Quickly, number three, purpose of covenant is to end strife. Either already existing strife or to forestall future strife. Hebrews 6.16 For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. The Amplified puts it this way, Men indeed swear by a greater than themselves, and with them in all disputes the oath taken for confirmation is final. 
ending strife. Quickly, number four, purpose of covenant is immutability. Immutability, Hebrews 6, 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Did you see that? The immutability of his counsel was confirmed by an oath. Glory to Jesus. So you will notice that the old covenant was between God and men, but the new covenant is between God and Christ. Galatians 3, 19 to 20. What then, I'm reading the Amplified Classic, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added later on after the promise to disclose and expose to men their guilt because of transgressions and to make men more conscious of the sinfulness of sin. And it was intended to be in effect until the seed, the descendant, the heir should come to and concerning whom the promise had been made. And each the law was arranged and ordained and appointed through the instrumentality of angels and was given by the hand in the pursing of a go-between Moses, an intermediary person between God and man. Verse 20. Now, a go-between intermediary has to do with and implies more than one party. There can be no mediator with just one person. Yet, God is only one person and he was the sole party in giving that promise to Abraham. But the law was a contract between two. God and Israel. His validity was dependent on both. But he tells a contrast. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he was God making covenant with himself. Because he put Abraham to sleep all through. Abraham only woke up to see what God had done. And that's what Galatians 3, Paul is explaining there. Because man was found unfaithful to keep the covenant. So God said, you know what you're going to do? Abraham, all I need you to do for me, bring all the things I need for the covenant. Put everything down. Just leave it. Bible says, a touch came and moved. Now, Bible commentators will tell you, the movement of that fire moved in the form of figure eight. Now, we call it eight because of today. It wasn't eight in their own, whatever. It means infinity, eternity, unending. In other words, God came and walked through. Because the way the core covenant is that you bring the, like, you told him, bring two pigeons and separate them like that. You cut them into two halves. Now, so when you cut them, the blood is there. So there's a pathway. The way the core covenant does this is when you brought all the animals, whatever, you cut it into two halves and there's blood spilling the highway, like, I mean, so halfway like that, or the pathway, both parties will now walk in the midst of it. You see what I'm saying now? So let's say pigeons, turtle doves, ifa, and everything. We've cut it into two halves. Move back, move back, smoke. You are too close. You are too close for covenant. You see what I'm saying? So we cut it into two halves, and there is blood now. So how they cut covenant those days, and that's what God was doing with Abraham was, he will now come, be coming to us, and I will come. Then we'll meet halfway like that. But notice we are both working on what? Blood. And what that implies is the fact that at this point where we've met on blood, life has mixed with life. And that this covenant will not only be in force for as long as we live, but it will outlive the two of us. That's the way covenants record those days. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now? Yeah. And so, but in the case, as we saw in Genesis 15, Abraham didn't walk through the... He was just asleep. It's God who walked through it by himself. And that's what Paul is saying in Galatians 3. He said, normally a, a, a mediator is a mediator between two parties. He can't be a mediator between himself and himself. He said, yet, God was mediator with himself. 
And we know it was not Ojuru because he came down as man yes, to represent man yes, in that covenant. Yes, so it is actually a covenant between God and man. But this man is God himself. Yes, <laughs> so yeah, sometimes when you hear people say, we don't have a covenant with God, in a sense they are right. But in a sense they are not right. Because there is a covenant between God and man. Yes. It's just that the man who represented humanity is God himself. Yes. Are you getting that? Man? Yes, sir. So if somebody says they have covenant with God, don't be don't rush to say they are wrong. Because yes. we do. Yes. We do. Yes. <laughs> we do. We do. And God has kept his covenant. Hallelujah. And Jesus, who represented us in that part, in that covenant part that they, that they caught, has also kept his part. Hallelujah. So as far as God is concerned, man has been found faithful yes, to keep his part of the covenant. Yes, oh. That's what I've told you. You've got to always say to the devil, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood. Yes. What blood are you pleading? Covenant! Yes, I have a covenant. <laughs> you tell that devil to shut up. It's a covenant kept. It's a covenant kept. It's life. It's life for life. And that's why we're looking at this. Next week, we'll now enter into the blood. And that's why it's called the blood of the everlasting covenant because the lives involved in this are lives that are eternal. It can never end. That's why we'll see next Wednesday how you see in the book of Psalms statements such as my covenant will I not break neither will I utter the things that have gone out of my mouth. He said if you can break my covenant with night and day then you will be able to break my covenant with the house of David. Some very heavy statements. So. Say, yeah, and your soul shall live. Isaiah 55, 3. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. Everlasting covenant, God said. Now, God is qualifying the kind of covenants he makes with people. He says it's everlasting. I don't make uh, kele kele love. Yeah. Everlasting. 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 So much so that blind Bartimaeus would look at Jesus and he will appeal to him on that covenant. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy. And he looks like and says, What? Mm. What? It's covenant talking there. We're going to look at blood confessions next Wednesday by the grace of God. Blood confessions. Things the believer must say. Confessions we must say. At any point, if there's any concern over any member of your family, you should open your mouth and declare in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood over this person. I plead the blood over that person. I plead the blood over this person. Is there concern over your own life? You say it. I plead the blood. Because in covenants, there are words. As I said, my covenant will I not break. Neither will I utter the things that have gone out of my mouth. We saw in Genesis 15 when he caught covenant with Abraham, words were spoken. Words were spoken. And the words spoken in covenant are not to be spoken once and for all. They are to be spoken consistently, continuously, continuously. You said, you said, this is what God said. This is what the Lord said. This was what he told us. That's why you see, even in your work with God today, every time God is talking to you, the words of God are blood-backed. The word of God is backed with blood. Backed up with blood. Backed up with blood. 
That is, that's why when Jesus says, the words I say unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17 and 11. His words are blood backed up. So when you speak what God said, you are, you are releasing the power of the blood on it. On anything. Because even, even when Moses came, building after the pattern of what was shown him in the mouth, everything he did in his sanctuary was first dedicated by blood. Everything. He sprinkled the people, sprinkled the books, sprinkled everything with blood. Ah, because if you remove blood from this gospel, there is no gospel. It's a bloody gospel. <laughs> bloody gospel. Blood everywhere. <laughs> blood everywhere. The blood of Jesus. Ah, yeah, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. He's speaking for me. Glory. Speaking for me. And he doesn't speak condemnation. He speaks righteousness, justification. Lift your hands and thank him tonight. Oh, we glorify your name. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. You've been listening to the teaching of God's word. Brought to you by God's Heritage of Faith Church. Our mission is raising stronger believers. For more information about our church or to get more of our live transforming resources, visit our website at www.hofng.org. God bless you.